Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Hey, thanks for listening in. This is Robert. Hey, I'm Zach. Join us for each episode as we apply the gospel to dive into the inner workings of the Christian faith. Are you agnostic or atheist and want to understand Christianity better? Want to learn more about Jesus? Discuss the differences between the modern and early churches? or maybe explore some of the Bible's most interesting characters, then we hope you'll join us in Achieving Christian Thought. And welcome back to another episode of the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. Thank you all for joining. Um, I know last episode was really fun. We kind of dove into kind of some of the foundation, background of miracles, trying to laying that definition. Um uh, hope you all enjoyed it. If you want to interact with us, definitely visit our Facebook page, the Achieving Christian Thought um, podcast on our Facebook, or theactpod.com is our uh, main website. But uh, drop us a message. Let us know what you thought. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And as always, joined by Zach and Robert, who Hola. have got some stories about miracles. Hey. Oh, we got some miracles for you. And right. so let's see. I guess we're talking about miracles such as the invention of the Crunchwrap Supreme, uh, Steve Jobs, the mm. iPhone, oh, basically yes. delivering the entirety of human knowledge right to the palm of our hands. Yes. So Glory. Are those the type of miracles we're going to talk about tonight? Yes. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Emphasis added no. <laughs> David, have you had a Crunchwrap Supreme? No, I'm yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, a couple of years ago. <laughs> By the providence of God. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, to jump into this, um, if you watched the uh, listen to the last episode, watching Freudian slip. If you listen to the last watchable podcast, no one is watching. (laughs) Hello, how you doing? That's what I want to know. Goodness, we're off the rails. We're we're having a party. But uh, (laughs) but if if you listen to the last episode, you already know we've talked about miracles. Um, if you skip straight to this one for any reason, I'd invite you to go back and do it. But, Shame um, upon thee. Yeah. Shame. Um, <laughs> but we're leading straight from that discussion into this one. And um, what it was was last time we talked about the defense of miracles. Could we even, with a rational brain, still cling to the idea that there uh, would be such thing as miracles in history? And we landed the plane talking about the miracles directly associated with Jesus in his own life in the four Gospels. And so uh, what we're going to do, and we've uh, done this with parable episodes before, we are going to take some of our favorite stories of Christ's own personal miracles and share them uh, with you one-on-one. First I'll go, and then Zach, and back and forth. We've got two each, and... um, to kind of launch into this a very brief excursion into um, why miracles would be such a heavy part of Jesus's own ministry because his words alone have changed civilization completely. There's no going back in a good way. Um, he, he gave us such things as the, the sanctity of uh, all human life, the idea that nobody deserves to be killed simply for the sake of it, for sport, uh, the idea that women should be elevated to the same status as men, uh, the, the, the idea that the wealthy and the, po- and the poor ridden are both um, valuable in God's eyes. All of this comes from Christ. And yet 
there's just as much emphasis on his physical miracles as on his teachings. And so why would this be such an emphasis? Now, obviously, if he did the miracles, they're going to talk about it. But why would why would God want that to be such a heavy part of his ministry? And so what we believe is that the Father chose to allow Jesus to do these things in order to orchestrate what he was saying. I've heard it said that the teachings of Jesus are not complete without the story of what he did in the moment when he said it. I am the light of the world doesn't mean much unless you you suddenly can give somebody sight to their eyeballs. And what it did was it definitely gave the people something that they would never forget. Um, it gave the people something that would point to the idea that this is more than just a brilliant teacher. This guy isn't just a very, very intelligent rabbi. This guy is something else. And and I would just kind of like put a little stick in that also is um, – it was an it was a way for the people who are truly seeking God to see that this person was truly blessed by God to do those things. That's one thing. Like with uh, Nicodemus, uh, he's like, "I know we know that you are from God because no one can be you know doing these things without God's approval." So that's that's the other aspect of it. Is like th- it was a way to validate the people of God. Mm-hmm that this person, this Jesus, was a messenger from God, and he had the authority of God. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And in many ways, his miracles were his anti-parables. Um, he actually said the parables in a vague way on purpose. He, was, he, never, he, all, he seldom explained precisely what he meant with his parables. Sometimes he did, and when he did, when he did we can eat that up and use those to interpret others. But he intentionally made them vague, so that those who do not believe in him would struggle to understand precisely what he was trying to say about himself. And so he was basically saying that his teachings about heaven and salvation are kind of a a privilege, open only to those who genuinely want to seek him. Now, the miracles are the anti-parables in the sense that they are wide open. Mm -hmm. There's no denying unless you willingly want to deny what just happened in front of you, if you witness one of Jesus' miracles, um, to give the ability of a man to walk, the ability of someone to see, uh, to raise someone literally from the dead. He did that a couple of times, too. And you do not have to interpret that in any particular way like a parable. You don't have to try to nitpick details. It happened or it didn't. And you just saw something that made your hair stand on end. And there's even a section of the Talmud, uh, for those who don't, aren't familiar with that word, just throw it out, but uh, it's basically a collection of Jewish rabbinical writings around the time of Jesus and after. And there's a mention of his name that says, we hung this Yeshua, this man Jesus in Aramaic, we hung him on a cross for his work in witchcraft to lead people astray. Yeah, what sorcery, the, I believe is a direct quote. Yep, and so what what we get from that is this is Jesus' enemies inadvertently, indirectly admitting that he could do things they could not explain. And so what are you going to do if he he does something that makes you stay up at night? What are you going to do? You're either going to say, wow, he must be Lord and God, or, oh, he must be a demon working by the power of Satan. And we have both of those word for word in the Gospels. They confront him with both of those accusations. Mm-hmm. And we're, they're not going to put in their own writings, yep, we crucified the Son of God. Woo! 
No, they're going to have some excuse. We crucified an evil demon who could do things by the power of evil. Well, that was all their assumptions. They had the event. They were there in the room. They saw it. Mm-hmm. Now it's up to you to interpret it the way you choose to do it, and it will expose your heart. And so some of these stories have a lot. They have just as much to say about the people around Jesus than they have to say about <laughs> Jesus. So uh, light up the campfire again. It's time to have Act Pod around the campfire and share some stories. But they're not spooky this time, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, hope, I mean, you might, you might get a little freaked out, but it's a good <laughs> freak out. Hopefully. Yeah, let's hope. And so the one I chose to open up with, um, I just chose it at random. I'm not going to say it's my absolute favorite, but it's the one that jumped to my mind first. It's definitely one of my favorites. Um, The the whole episode goes into a lot of detail. And in order to understand it, uh, you've got to know a little tiny bit about architecture, so I won't cover it too long. But basically, Jesus was in a home in one of the villages. He would go around to different towns and by town we would just think of a very very small village compared to today's cities and small towns and he would go to these small towns and he would stay in homes people would be hospitable to jesus they would open their doors for him he'd spend the night and he literally survived off the hospitality of people who were willing to believe in him and trust him and listen to what he had to say and he was teaching and it said that the crowd got so big that Jesus had gotten so popular by this time that throngs were gathering around him, spilling out the windows, spilling out the door, listening to everything that Jesus had to say. And, of course, his arch nemesis, the Pharisees, were there to witness hey, everything. Yeah. His enemies, yeah. the Pharisees. His arch nemesis, the Pharisees. It's our, our secondary <laughs> podcast title. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I'm going to start da- saying that every time I bring them up. <laughs> In rhythm, his nemesis, the Pharisees. <laughs> this, this is this you is. You can do it with the Sadducees too. Yes. Oh, yes. In in fifty more years, when we're at episode six thousand, I'll still be doing it. Will be remember the first time I launched <laughs> that fad. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But uh, his nemesis, the Pharisees, are there, <laughs> ready to witness everything. And so, what happens right in front of their eyes are uh, a group of friends desperate to get the person they love to Jesus. They have seen what he can do with other people. They know that there is something not just to his words, but to his very essence, his very soul. There's something special about Jesus, the man. And so as a man who was lame from birth, and so they bring him on a mat. They literally just hoisted him on a bed. Think of a stretcher trying to get an injured person to the hospital or uh, to an ambulance. And these men took the mat up, and they could not force their way through the crowd to save their lives. They tried. They couldn't do it. It was like trying to get to a celebrity in Hollywood at this point. You just could not fight through the human bodies. And they had a big mat to carry through as well. So what they did, they got desperate, and they went up on the roof, which was basically the modern equivalent of getting on somebody's back porch. Um, people would hang out up there on on the porch. Yeah, uh, there'd be there would be stairs that would lead up to the mm-hmm. the, the roof. Oh where, yeah. Because if you think this is in the middle of like a very arid place, very hot during the day and cool at night, so a lot of times that at night they would kind of like sit up there and enjoy the coolness of the breeze. Oh yeah. And so this was a way they could cope with um, one a lack of room if you can't get somewhere more private, and two with the weather. And so these roofs were not concrete like you would expect them to. They were much easier to tear apart if you really put your back into it. They were made out of uh, thatched um, straw, thatched hay, 
um, a little bit of wood. And so what they did was they took their friend up these stairs up to this roof, and they really dug into it. They plowed a hole through this roof that they that they were able to lower their friend into. And what they did was they took this friend on a mat, took ropes, and lowered him through the hole in the roof so that he slowly, gently, maybe even awkwardly landed right in front of Jesus as he was standing in front of these people. So this whole crowd full of people witness everything that's going on is right in front of him. Um, kind of like somebody on cue in a Peter Pan play, and they come flying down on a rope <laughs> right in front of all the audience. And so he lands here, and Jesus looks at him, and he says, you know, your sins are forgiven. And this ticks the Pharisees off. And the they immediately go after him in the crowd. They say, okay, now this is it. We've been looking for something to throw at you. You're blaspheming. So this is the thing that's going to finally get us to come at you. You're claiming that you have the power to forgive this man's sins, mm. and yet only God can do that. Now, so many things are happening at once. Just freeze frame for a second. They are obviously accusing Jesus of claiming to be God, which is blasphemy unless it's true. Mm. God himself was never accused of blasphemy for saying he was God. Mm. And so they're saying only God can forgive sins, and yet Jesus did so in full. He was a Jewish man. He was in full knowledge of what they believed about the forgiveness of sins. So what is Jesus saying about himself? Mm -hmm. And so also it's really telling that this this man Jesus would look at this this person in the middle of his plight, this paralegic on a mat, and the first thing he says to the man is not, I will let you stand. He doesn't say, I'll heal you. That's obviously what he wants. And yet Jesus' first thing is, I forgive your sins. He goes right for the heart of the matter before he takes care of anything from the waist down regarding the man's body. And so he's hinting, I'm God. He's hinting that your sins are more important than your physical ailments. Your physical ailments are here because of your sin. I've come to cure the disease rather than band-aid the symptoms. And he's saying all of this, and the Pharisees miss it all because they're just so eager to find a way to throw Jesus in the clink. And we know, of course, they went beyond that eventually, and they just found a way to have him literally executed. But that's much farther down the road at this point in the story. But uh, Jesus looks at them, and he actually knew their thoughts. The Scripture says that they had been thinking this, maybe whispering it to themselves in the middle of this crowd. And Jesus spooks them. By doing two things. First, he is able to pinpoint precisely what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. And he uh, apparently he quotes somebody's thoughts word for word. And he says, why are you thinking this about me? That I, is blasphemy for somebody to say this about someone's sins. And he said, which is easier, for me to claim that I've forgiven his sins or for me to physically heal him right in front of you? Because it, it, it can be very, very easy to claim something that can't be provable. Mm -hmm. uh, he could have said, I'm an alien from space. He could have said... But I he didn't. Emphasis added for the Raelians out there. He didn't. Hey. <laughs> Area 52. But... Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, Sorry. Uh, no, you're fine. I'm, re I'm regathering my thoughts. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he could have claimed that he was someone from another dimension. He could have claimed he was God's final prophet, which would have been, been a lot less pressure on him. But he said, I could say whatever I want to. Proving it by action is going to be a lot more difficult, but let's do it. <laughs> and he said, he, he looks over at the man, 
and he commands him to walk. He 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 literally just basically by the authority vested in me by being the creator of the universe, I command you to not be sick anymore. And the man gets up. He starts to move and he slowly gets up and he grabs the mat that he was laying on and he walks away with it. In clear view of all these people. Now this is when things hit the fan that day. They see this and emotions get very, very high. There are some people freaking out in a good way. They're trying to grab onto Jesus, praise him. Um, I imagine this image almost like a celebrity getting bombarded by fans like this guy's getting pressed against the corner he's probably getting clawed at and people trying to reach out and grab him and touch him and get too close to him and this man is leaving the 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 the, the healed man is leaving the the scene and the pharisees on the opposite end are even more furious that he commit performed a miracle than they were furious about what he said and so the fact that just step by step, you see the Pharisees' hearts being exposed slowly. Um, Jesus says, I am God. They get furious. Jesus reads their minds. They did not confront him directly. They think, oh, this guy's a stunt artist. Jesus says, why are you calling me a stunt artist? Okay, you quoted his thought, their thoughts verbatim to each other. And so then you say, okay, I'm going to prove it by doing something so much more difficult than claiming something. I'm going to make this God make this guy walk and he performs this miracle right in front of them um now it was a very very small village i'm assuming enough witnesses would have recognized this man have known how long he had been down how long his his ailment had lasted it said his whole life so they would have known that either this was a legitimate miracle right in front of their eyes or else this guy had spent 30 years of his life just waiting for a chance to con somebody when a random messiah (laughs) showed up and it it would be the longest most pointless prank ever played on somebody if he had just laid around for his whole life waiting for this moment but uh the pharisees see it all and they completely reject everything well and 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 to your point also just to clarify something one of the reasons why they were so upset was because he did something on the Sabbath. Oh, yeah. That was one of the, not only did he try, not only did he say, I forgive somebody's sins, but he did a miracle on the Sabbath, which in their culture, that was a huge no-no. Like, this guy, instead of celebrating that this man was made whole, this man just did, like, you know, Jesus did something miraculous and rejoice that, you know, he's now healed. Instead, they were like, you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. Don't you know? Don't you know you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath? It's bad. No, we can't do that. It's like, <laughs> because that's the important thing. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. And it's just the stuff that they saw and intentionally chose to ignore. Mm-hmm. It just blows their hearts wide open. It shows you exactly who these people were and where they were standing. And it was all, they were all in it for themselves. They were just trying to find ways to bring him down for one because he brought glory away from them they were the centerpiece of jewish religion and two because uh they they were just refusing to budge on who they believed the messiah would be and especially when jesus preached against them and said you're all a brood of vipers that didn't help but he he 
he, everything that they had already done and said to him proved that he everything he was saying was correct about them so they had no real way no real wiggle room to complain but this is the episode I chose it first and uh to close it out before I pass this on to Zach for his next miracle let's just hone in on the man and I, by this I mean the healed man uh, we don't know his name, but he hasn't. We he hasn't slipped the attention of God. This is someone who spent the very the first half, perhaps even the first three fourths of their life with an ailment that would never go. It became that person's whole identity at some point, I'm sure. And yet they were willing and ready to allow that part of their identity to fall away. If they were willing to get rid of that idol in in their lives that was defining his identity in order to find a new one in Christ. And so these people, his friends, they were willing to pick someone up and physically go through these motions to make sure that this person got noticed by Jesus. And so basically, it was just a desperate plea for help. Like, literally, please, in the middle of all these people, notice me. And we live in a population of 7 billion people today connected by the Internet in a way that a small village couldn't in back in Jesus lifetime couldn't even imagine couldn't ever it would boggle their minds they couldn't even grasp it yeah social media would be like what <laughs> oh gosh no <laughs> an ocean of insanity you did what to who you did what on tiktok what's tiktok <laughs> you're telling me that you have access to all the knowledge of mankind and the push of a button and you spoil it by watching cute cat videos all day long <laughs> Uh, or argue with someone you don't know in Amsterdam. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, all that to say, now more than ever, we too feel like the man on the mat. We are anonymous. We, especially in celebrity culture, the person who's been in that movie you know is the only person that matters according to Instagram. Mm. And so people try desperately to look like them, act like them, be like them so that they are noticed. Or get get the likes and the shares and the followers oh yeah everyone wants to have that taste of fame yeah have women you know you know attractive women show off themselves in in precarious ways just 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 (laughs) to just so that they could you know you know have a following (laughs) oh absolutely and yet jesus sees every last person in the crowd every last person he knows their stories he knows their names he he, to an extent, he probably knew that the man was coming before his friends got him there. Mm-hmm. And he saw him, and he, he didn't say, okay, let's get up and walk. Let's save face for you. He, he just said, your sins are forgiven. Mm. The very thing that puts you in this this kind of a world to begin with, I am here to fix that. After you get up and take your mat and walk, are you willing to put that mat up somewhere and come walk with me after mm. the fact? Mm. And I'd love to think that that man became a believer. I'd hate to think he just hung around for the rest of his life. Good golly gee, August 8th of 85 BC was grand. Uh, <laughs> that was nice. Gee whiz. Oh, you're <laughs> saying rumors of his resurrection are flying around? Cool. <laughs> I'm going to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> Let me walk over here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Think how much better I can sin now that I can walk. <laughs> oh, ooh, I can go places I never imagined. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, all of that just to kind of bring that picture to life a little bit, to, to bring that moment for that person, anonymous person, but not anonymous to God. 
and bring it to light. Mm. That's good, Robert. Thank you for that. Uh, so the one that I'm going to talk about is actually Jesus, 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 Jesus' first miracle, recorded miracle, the uh, wedding ceremony. Now, um, uh, it's one of those, uh, in some circles of Christianity, it's probably one of those, uh, we wish it wasn't in there. Uh, miracles, unfortunately, because, and you know, and because, and this is the reason why I say that is because one, it's a wedding ceremony, which that's not a big deal. That's awesome. You know, great. Somebody's getting married, but he does the miraculous by changing water to wine. (laughs) And, and of course, as, as, uh, if you guys have been around, especially in, in the Southern community, um, you've probably heard about or seen or maybe even grew up in a in a uh in a sort of culture where you know drinking is this forbidden taboo um and i would say drinking in excess is a taboo but um here we have an instance where jesus does something um and that in our society in our culture we'd be like whoa 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 hang hang, hold on whoa you just you just whoa whoa we just made water into wine so let's let's back up and say, uh, so Jesus, before anything, but even bef- before he has a following, before any of those things take place, he has been baptized, if I'm not mistaken, um, by John the Baptist, and he might have a couple people uh, following him at this point. But at this point, he's not done anything super grand. He's not done certainly not done any miracles or anything. This is literally his very first. Uh, miracle so he gets invited to a wedding feast or a wedding party and as any good person he goes he goes to the wedding uh everything's fun everything's fine everything's going great the groom and the bride they go through the motions of getting married and then they're at the party and suddenly something drastic happens they run out of wine and at that day and time, you know, you, it's a celebration, just like today. I mean, it's like if you if you imagine that you go to a wedding ceremony and all of a sudden, like, oh, sorry, we ran out of hors d'oeuvres for the wedding. It's like how embarrassing would that be to have that happen? Um, how much more so would that have been embarrassing in that day and time, in that culture, um, because you have a very heavily um, uh, close community and that would remember uh, this instance of where someone had actually ran out of wine. Um, and so first thing is um, that you notice is that Mary makes the request of Jesus. And and a lot of people today say, oh, well, that's like, because he says, woman, my hour has not come. Why are you asking me to do something? And a lot of people today are like, wow, he's being such disrespectful to his mom or, you know, what have you, because his mom was there. And in reality, it's like he was just addressing her, you know, like in a, in a basic way that they would do at that time. It was nothing nothing controversial or anything like that. It was actually probably a term of respect and endearment. Um, but they we don't see it that way because we don't address, you know, our mothers like that. But that day and time they did. So it's not that big of a deal. Um, but... 
So his mom turns to them and says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And Jesus just says, take this um, over, the, you know, go get a, a jar, fill it and draw some out and take it to the headmaster, uh, the head of the, the um, wedding ceremony. And so they do it. They believe, you know, that this is just water. And then they take it. They they um, pour it into the, the vial and then they take a sample of it and they take it to the, the head chief of the, the wedding ceremony and he tastes it and it's the best wine ever that he's ever put in his mouth. He's like, most people save the good wine for first and then after that they give him the worst wine. But this, you've actually saved the best wine for last instead of good. And it's kind of like, just like a, like a praise of like how amazingly uh, he, this guy provided for this wedding. Um uh, and, and and had, like, forethought and, like, saying, like, okay, well, you've not just given us good wine, you've given us even better wine at the end instead of at the beginning, and just kind of, like, praising him, generally speaking, uh, about that. And then Jesus is just, no, like, everyone knows, like, everyone who was part of the, the serv, uh, servants knew that that was just water, that they literally just got water and just drew water out from this um, cistern and gave it to the guy. So they knew it was water, and yet it became something else because Jesus told it to become something else. And so that is like the very first um, miracle that happens. Nothing really controversial by that day and time, but by our standards, like I said, it is controversial because we have this view that, you know, you're not supposed to drink at all. And um, some Christian circles are like, if you even look at wine, it's a sin or whatever. Um, that might be a slight exaggeration, but not by much, because um, they they just misconstrue scripture. Um, is there a scripture that says that you should not get drunk with wine? Absolutely. Is there a scripture that says that um, you know if it if you have a craving for it, you should flee from that craving because you don't want it to rule you? Yes, but that doesn't mean that you cannot have a glass of wine with your steak or something like that or a, a beer for that matter it's just it's just that moderation and then maybe i guess if you wanted to argue um uh if you had a like if you were hanging out with somebody and they had an issue with drinking and you wanted to respect their issues that they have then that would be fine but in jesus's day and time there was there was no issue at all with drinking wine in the you know in the right way in the right context and in in this context it's a wedding celebration these these two people are literally joined together um for an hour you know until until they they pass away what have you and this was just a time to celebrate and it was a time to rejoice and Jesus's mother made a request and he granted it and everyone knew that he did something miraculous and no, no Pharisees at this point were uh, up in arms over anything. Thankfully, they just, oh wow, this guy did something miraculous. That's kind of cool, you know. No, no enemies yet. No enemy. They're on the horizon. They're circling, but they're not yet ready to attack, so to speak, just yet. So that's the first miracle that Jesus performs, um, turning the water to wine, again nothing dramatic about it other than our interpretation of nowadays how, how we have issues with it um 
anything you want to say about it, Robert? One thing I would add that I just love about the story, and I've thought about it and turned it over in my head for a long time, is just the idea that he's literally not technically not supposed to do this today. Mm-hmm. It's not his time yet. He mm-hmm. tells Mary, you know, it's my hour is not yet. Yeah, come. yeah. my hour is not yet come. It's it's not the Father's direct will for me to step out like this right now. You know, once I start, there's no going back. People are going to notice me, get spooked, and all of a sudden, you know, that turns into, like, my story situation, pressed into a corner, gasping for air. Yeah. Get off me, get off me. And yet he is willing to do that mm-hmm. just to help his mom save face, like mm-hmm. such, a, such a simple, basic, everyday need. Mm-hmm. And yet he was willing to turn aside to listen to that. Yeah, because I don't think it ever mentions who it was that the wedding ceremony. It could even been family members. Yep. I mean, we yeah. don't know. We don't know. So I mean, that would make sense of why the why his mom would be like, "Hey, Jesus, do something." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Please, you need to do something. We're about to be embarrassed publicly. Yeah. And maybe even like distant family. Who know? I mean, who knows? Um, we don't know. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, this is something that he 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 chose to do. To honor his mom, really, she she had a request and he did it. And I mean, there you go. I mean, and forever, that will be seen as his first miracle. I mean, and in honor of his mom's request. So I mean, I think that's pretty cool that he uh, he did that for her. Oh yeah, I mean, the the prayers that we wonder for wasting God's time, we we never will. Yeah, we never will. He'll he'll say no to many of them because they're. Na- human nature we yeah. can say some dumb prayers but <laughs> or like very short-sighted like i mean i remember praying for some things and like god's like you know i'm not gonna grant that and now i'm like thank you for not doing that <laughs> yeah because it was it was it was great at the time but uh i am very glad that you did not do that thank you lord <laughs> oh yes <laughs> i'm glad that your knowledge is greater than mine <laughs> oh absolutely um so my story ended in one man walking. Zach's ended in many people stumbling. So we have, we <laughs> literally have, we hey. have all these themes coming <laughs> we full saw circle. What you did there, Robert. Oh, oh, the the word the word comes together nicely <laughs> in all its many forms. <laughs> uh, but uh, thank you, Zach. So to jump into my second miracle, I always try to bring two things together that follow a, a basic theme. Uh, this I did the same with the parables. So my second miracle is very similar to my first. Another one that's in the middle of a crowd. Another face that feels anonymous. And yet this person comes to Jesus in an entirely different way. This person um, is, you know, the direct opposite of the lame man. I mean, the, in a, a lot of, lot of different ways. Um, let's see. The lame man uh, makes a scene. This person wants to stay anonymous, so Jesus makes a scene for her. Mm. And since I, I, I dropped... where you're going. Oh. I see where you're going. Oh, yeah. And I dropped the pronoun, so I'll go ahead and say she's a female, he was a male. Um, that doesn't matter in the end, but it's just one more point of difference. <laughs> Hers was a very female problem he would not have. But um, this person... Um, came directly to Jesus while the fir- while the lame man tried to had had to get creative to find a route. Uh, the lame man, his friends were desperate to get him to Jesus. They were the ones who exercised all the 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 tension and the faith that brought this about. 
the woman, she came herself. Now, you could argue, of course, the lame man obviously wanted to be healed, but it was his friend's initiative that they all had genuine faith. The man's, the man's friends took initiative. She took initiative this time. Now, if you know who, if you can already guess what miracle this is, if anyone out there is familiar with Scripture, then great. But uh, this is a woman who had suffered from a physical ailment for years, and it's uh, it just says a discharge of blood in the text. Now, not without getting too graphic, the most likely explanation it seems would be a woman who was practically experiencing a never-ending period for much longer than would be. Uh, imagine that time of the month never ending and it was just a nightmare for her she probably felt very drained she's probably stigmatized because the jewish law said that a woman's period was a time of uncleanness so she was never clean according to their laws mm-hmm. um could never uh never go into the temple yeah never go into the temple and a lot of people wouldn't associate with her because of her uncleanness oh yeah and their superstition would have seen it as, oh, God is warning us about her. Mm-hmm. There's probably blood on her hands and her heart the way there's blood on her clothes. And so she probably would have even struggled to ever find a husband. If she had one, he probably shunned her. Mm-hmm. He, By law, he couldn't do anything sexual with her while she was in her time of uncleanness. And when it stretches for that long... Most men, now even today, but especially back then, they really just used her as child insurance. That's what a wife was to most men. And if you can't have a child by this woman, you might as well let her go. And so everything probably fell out from under her in this life. She was probably like the the Samaritan woman at the well for different reasons, but in the same boat. And it said that she had gone to healer after healer after healer. And medicine did exist, but of course it was a lot more primitive then than now. And they just could not figure out why it kept happening to her. And she had to live with it. She had to be as sanitary as she could. She had to deal with her stigma. She had to deal with the shame of a past she may have had that disappeared from her because of all of this. And it said that she experienced this literally for years. It was grueling. It never disappeared. It never went away. And so she actually has this thought. She is seeing Jesus in the crowds healing people, just like the lame man and his friends saw. This is a man who can make people's eyes see. This is a man who can do with the touch or sometimes with the word of his mouth, what these medical doctors in her life couldn't do despite every practice known to man at the time. And she thinks, well, maybe, just maybe, this is the last healer I need to go to. This is the last man I'm going to go to who can finally take my shame away, who can finally get my body back in line where it's supposed to be. And so she goes and she thinks, maybe if I can only get through this crowd and touch the hem of his garment, literally the, one of the outer folds of his clothing, if I can just reach out and touch it, may, uh, maybe, just maybe, I'll finally be healed. And uh, the scripture actually commends her for her faith because she thought, well, surely if someone who radiates this much holiness and this much divinity, surely if I even so much as get in contact with it, then maybe I'll be healed. And the irony is she sees him as a living, moving anti-arch. If you touch the Ark of the Covenant, you will die. She thinks maybe if I just touch this living Ark, this this person who seems to indwell God's presence, I'll live. And so she comes and 
what she sees, what she's, what the Jews saw in the ark was a signature of God's holiness and wrath. What she saw in Jesus was kind of a signature of God's holiness and mercy. A whole new era has come, initiated by the same God, and yet it comes about in a whole new way to wrap up God's dealings with humans. So she comes and she reaches out and she touches the hem of his garment just like she planned to, and it says in that very moment her body never bled out of out of its rhythm again. And it just stopped, and she probably could feel something. I'm not going to speculate if it was a tingle or something, but maybe she felt nothing at all. But it does say... And I'm assuming she must have become a believer in order to testify to this later. She must have told the story, you know, five years down the road, and it never happened again. Mm-hmm. And yet she's hoping to touch him and slip away. She just, she probably doesn't want to be seen. People have looked at her like she is a cockroach long enough. Mm-hmm. And so she wanted to slip away, not be caught. She probably didn't even hope Jesus knew her name as long as she could just get help. And all of a sudden, Jesus just stops, and I love his question, because he knew he just wanted to put her on the spot for all the right reasons. He goes, I felt power go out of me. Who did that? And she probably panicked. She probably thought she was going to get scolded for it. She probably, to be honest, I believe. I mean, Jewish law would have said that if she touched someone, mm-hmm. that would have made them unclean. Mm-hmm. So she thought, oh, no, I'm about to get trampled on for having touched somebody this clean and making him ceremonially unclean, I have really, uh, my selfishness has really gotten in the way of things. Mm-hmm. And that's probably what she's thinking in the moment. So he turns, and it doesn't say he looked. It says he just stops, he asks, and he knows. And he pinpoints her, and just the comfort he gives her, he he basically just, you know, tells her everything he told the lame man. Mm-hmm. You know, you finally found the light of the world. The one who healed your body is going to heal your soul as well. And so the idea that, you know, usually the unclean person touches his or her neighbor and makes their neighbor unclean. Jesus was so very clean, so hyper clean, the very God of holiness himself, that his cleanliness spread into her in a way. And it it finally took away her pain and her agony. Now, now this is uh, the opposite direction, of course, and I've said it probably three or four times, but it is worth really digging into your head. This is the woman who did not want to be seen. The first story I told addresses those of us who feel lost in an ocean of faces. This is the people who who feel anonymous in the middle of a vast, fast-moving world. She is represents all of us in those times in all of our lives when we wish we weren't seen. Mm-hmm. Maybe we were ashamed of something we've done, something we said. Um, we live today... And I'll say this lightly, uh, we refuse to get into politics here, but we do live in a cancel, cancel culture where you can always have something you said a decade ago come back to haunt you in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, we also have things that trail us, just like the, her physical problem trailed her. And so these are the people who probably want to disappear. They probably don't want to be seen. Mm-hmm. And so when they are seen, it is actually a good thing, even if they don't notice it. Because when you're seen, that tells you that despite your story, this is someone who knows all about you the very second she touched you, but he has already decided to forgive you and to move uh, towards you in relationship if you're willing to allow him. And the thing that made you shame shamed is, is the one who uh, 
needs that grace in order to know that you know the shame of the past does not matter in the light of a God who has enough power to forgive literally anything in all of his creation. And one thing that the story makes me think of, and I'll close with it, is Mary's uh, little poem at the beginning of Luke. When she, and I'm talking about uh, Jesus' mother, when she's pregnant with Jesus, she gives this, this soaring poem known as the Magnificat. That's Latin, but basically it just means my soul magnifies the Lord. She's saying, thank you, God, for seeing me fit to be the Messiah's mother out of all the women in all of history. You've chosen me for many different reasons that I'll probably never know most of. And one thing she says is, even though I was a peasant teenager in the middle of nowhere, people have no right remembering her name or even remembering that she even existed were it not for her famous son. And so she says, you have seen the lowly and you've raised them up. You see the proud and the arrogant, and you tear them down. And so the people who refuse to make a scene, these are the ones that Jesus will usually make a scene for in order to elevate those who have intentionally humbled themselves. And so I have seen those who feel lost, and those who want to be lost, I've hunted you down. And so I've ma- I'm going to make every eye turn to you. And she panics because she thinks, oh, great, I'm, everyone's going to see me. Everyone's going to look at me the way they always look at me. But when Jesus wanted to direct that attention to her, he wanted a relationship with her. He didn't want her to slip away. But also he wanted every eye on her at that moment because he wanted to uh, that crowd to see, that, that would have known her shame, those people who were very local, very tight-knit, their gossip spread quicker than a, t- a small town in the mountains, I guarantee it. But their their eyes were diverted to her in the very moment that this man they revered basically took away um, any permission they felt to shame or make fun of her. He said, I am personally taking your shame away, and I want this whole town to see that. Mm-hmm. And so he is absolutely restoring in front of of everyone, restoring everything that ever destroyed who she saw herself as everything about her identity was wrecked and he restored it. And he made sure that when they looked at her this time, it was in a way that she hadn't seen in many, many years with newfound respect and humility from all these people who had before probably just shied away from her and treated her like nothing. Maybe even made fun of her. Oh, I guarantee it. No, in humanity, we probably did, especially. Yeah, people are people everywhere. The things you see on a kindergarten playground play out everywhere for all ages. But that is the story. Mine tonight were just two miracles, two people. We don't know their names, but God does. And one person was able to walk away for the first time, and one person was simply able to regain her life again after everything that the Jewish law would have taken away from her. And it's all because Jesus was willing to see and say, your sins are forgiven. To prove to you over the air, us in this room, everyone throughout all of history ever since, to prove to you that this historical man named Jesus can do this spiritually. He did these things physically, and the stories have been shared ever since. Because all they are, each miracle is just a mini picture of each of his teachings in action. He did it to prove himself to you and to me so that we would come to him in faith the same way these anonymous people did. Amen, Robert. Um, do you have anything for us? No, no. Mm. Okay. No, take it away. Okay, no, cool. I was just making sure. Uh, so my next one is 
has to do with food again. So the first one was, you know, turning water to wine, Jesus' first miracle. This one is the feeding of the 5,000. Yes. Yes. (laughs) The glorious gluttony of it all. No, I'm just kidding. It's not gluttony at all. I'll save my joke for after you finish. (laughs) 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 Yes, thank you, Robert. (laughs) Oh, it's coming. I'm I'm sure it is. I've got it ready. I've known you for 12 years. Of course the jokes are coming. Yeah, but I'll derail your thought after you've expended all your thoughts. Uh, thank you, thank you, because it's easy to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very easily distracted when it comes to that. But anyway, uh, your humor is awesome. Uh, but um, so here we have the example of the feeding of the five thousand. Now, one quick note is it says it's five thousand men. So you're looking at easily another, easily another seven, six, seven thousand people. Because it just said there's over 5,000 men. And, and usually with Jesus, there was honestly more probably women than men that followed Jesus. Um, but in this instance, um, you have a big crowd. He had just um, taught a very uh, amazing sermon. And then he looks out because they're in the middle of a very uh, arid place. There's some grass. um but there's nothing around, nothing around for miles. And he sees all these people, and he's like, well, they need food. So he looks at, Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says, what do we got? What do you guys have? And they're like, uh, we don't have anything. Uh, this guy, this little boy over here who's got uh, five loaves and two fish. And Jesus is like, all right, all right, have everybody sit down, sit down in groups. And so everybody sits down in groups, and and then he starts, he, he prays, and he starts breaking bread. And, um, and uh, no matter how many times he tears the bread, no matter how many times he breaks the bread, it's still fresh, and he keeps on giving it out and giving it out and giving it out and giving it out. There's literally thousands upon thousands of people all seeing Jesus break bread and hand it out. Break, you know, and, and uh, to the point where, you know, however many, and, and I had mentioned this in Connect Group the other day with uh, Brian, <coughs> excuse me, talking about how, like, even the person in the very, very, very back, you know, was able to get food and, and was fed. And and what a, a miraculous thing that is. Like, thousands of people were fed off five loaves. And, and it harkens back to a time, uh, which we've mentioned in previous uh, episodes, of whenever the Israelites, excuse me, Israelites were uh, just recently uh, got out of Egypt and they had no food, they had nothing to eat or anything like that, and they were basically come to Moses, hey, look, we're hungry, what what do we have? There's nothing. And God literally rained manna from heaven. And so this is kind of a, a foreshadow of Jesus doing the same thing, but instead of calling it down from heaven and then finding it the first thing in the morning and using it for the rest of the day, instead of that being the case, Jesus was deliberately... Letting people see him break the bread, let them see him pray over the food, and then hand it out. 
so that they can draw the conclusion that he is the source of the bread of life, that he is the one that provides um, the sustenance that we all need. And um, it's through this instance where he can just continues to hand out food to, to until everyone's filled. But not only that, but then he sends out all the um, uh, baskets to be filled. There's 12 baskets leftovers, uh, 12 baskets of leftovers. And I couldn't help but imagine that that's food for the disciples, his 12 chosen followers. And not just from them, but maybe even for him himself as well. Um, but it's just amazing how in that instance, like you see something miraculous like that, the feeding of the 5,000 plus, because there's probably more than that. And, and, um, and it just blows your mind because in your head it's like it's five loaves. It's, it's nothing. It's like no one could feed, I mean, you don't think about it, but in reality, there's no way a human being could feed that many people off five loaves. And yeah, Jesus miraculously provides for each of these people enough for them to be filled. Not just have a little bit, but have a lot to be filled. And that's in that day and time, that was a significant thing because, I mean, you have to think about it. That's the, the first century, you know, and food's pretty scarce in, in certain times so it might have been this, this was the maybe the first time some of these people were full like that in a long time and and the miraculous part about all of it is the fact that it came from five loaves it came from somebody willing to sacrifice their lunch their breakfast what have you so that others could be filled and that is just a story of the gospel I mean, he literally provides from nothing something for us, for us all. And all we have to do is look to him, and he takes care of our needs. Because it says that he looked out of the crowd and saw their need, saw that they needed to have food because it was already late in the day. And instead of sending them on their way, and maybe even doing miracles for them personally, like having them somehow get food elsewhere. Instead, he directly fulfills their needs and takes care of them himself. Him, God, the God-man, literally just takes and gives them the bread um, that they need. And, and of course, some of them, you, later on, you, you find out that they're going to come and search him out because they want to be fed all the time. And while in some respects that might not seem like a bad thing, but it's like if they go and they're just seeking Jesus for the sake of their food, uh, the stomachs to be filled instead of actually seeking him for the right reasons, that's one of the reasons why he rebuked them uh, later on in that uh, same uh, chapter is uh, after after the the. the after he feeds them, he goes off by himself, and the disciples cross the um, the sea, which is a story in itself. But he goes over there later on, um, and the crowd follows him there, and they basically want him to do another miracle, want them to feed him again. And that's not necessarily wrong because in the Old Testament, Moses, or uh, not Moses, God provided the manna from heaven daily. So. 
in, in some respects, they, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't think that, you know, you know, God, you know, you know, you're going to supply this every single day. But he's like, that's not the reason why I'm doing this. I did this. So that you could see who I am, that you could see and you could give glory to me because I am I am God. I am the great I am. I am the source my father was the one because that was one thing that they were doing is they were elevating Moses saying Moses did this Moses did that and it's like no Moses didn't do it it was God who did it Moses just you know got the credit for it in the sense of you know he was there he was the chosen uh, spokesman for God but it wasn't him that was actually doing it it was God um, Moses indirectly benefited from the the um, uh, the uh, I'm trying to think of the word here uh, the credibility I guess you know Moses uh, you know had this opportunity to meet these people's needs and God did it through Moses and so because of that he God validated Moses as being his prophet at that day and time so this is Jesus way of saying look it's not all about just having your stomach filled it's about following me continuously seeking my kingdom not yours and 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 doing my will and which is to to focus on me not on what i can give you but on the fact of who i am and what i can do in the sense of salvation so now robert you can do away with your silliness (laughs) great stuff i mean uh first though you know everything you just said you know that's that was jesus set up for the statement i am the bread of life Mm -hmm. and the sad thing is he was taking care of these people and it said that they pressed him to become their king because they saw what he could do yeah and he ran away because he knew what they wanted was a a bread factory they they really were they really weren't looking for him to be Mm -hmm. their king yeah and so it's a good snapshot of human nature but uh, thank you for that zach you've got a story your first story is where he manufactures wine then you've got the story where he prevents wine because mm-hmm. if they'd all gotten hungry, they just would have started. <laughs> and so he, he, you've got you've got both in the same in the same structure. So that's the Baptist version. He got rid of wine, and that's why we do not drink. <laughs> wow. Yes. Yeah. So, quick question. Yeah. Miracles today, mm-hmm. do they still happen? I believe they can. We have to be very careful jumping on bandwagon every time a rock moves in your driveway. Yeah. That's not all. That's not Almighty God saying that you shouldn't go to work today. <laughs> but they can happen. And I've actually, if if the stories can be told true, um, as long as they don't contradict Scripture, I've heard some st- um, amazing stories. People who have had cancer and the cancer just disappeared, mm-hmm. and the doctors can't explain it. They have no choice but to let the guy go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've even heard a story, and this is secondhand, but um, a college professor was giving a lecture while I was taking my Master of Divinity degree, and he had the story of a man with a shriveled foot, and while the doc, he, uh, the a pastor showed up and wanted to pray, and the doctor wasn't really a believer, so he he was just respectfully standing there. He said he actually watched that foot reform as the patient and the pastor were pl- praying with their eyes closed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> said it shook up anything he thought he knew about medical science, and he said that he had that from a very very credible source. I mean, a world known scholar was saying this, 
and just the fact that you know on occasion when god says it is time for his own reasons he can't intervene Mm -hmm. there's no reason to think just because the book that we call the canon ended it doesn't mean god just took a nap and some christians live their lives like that they Mm -hmm. say yeah i believe the virgin birth well do you believe he can protect you from car wrecks today Let's not get carried away, son. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I would always and and a, a measure of where whether or not you could test somebody about miracles or whatever is what do they give credit to, what do they give glory to, do they give did they give glory to themselves saying, hey, look, you know, this happened in my life, but it it it's said it's spoken about in such a way. That it's not really about God and what God did; it's about what they, the experience they had, or is it about, you know, God? You know, like God did this miraculous thing, and I, I, I can't help but, you know, give Him thanks and praise for what He did in my life. See, there's two distinct differences. One is seeking glory for themselves about this experience that they had, and the other one is actually giving glory to the Lord. And I think that's a key distinction between the two. Mm-hmm. Yes, miracles can happen, and certainly they do happen. They might happen more than we realize. There might even be like a spiritual element that we don't see on this side of things right now that you know maybe we'll see one day in glory and be like, wow, those things took place, and, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But at the same time, it's like oftentimes you have people who – take credit for these miracles just so that they can, uh, you know, either A, elevate themselves to this new priesthood of um, a new religious group or, um, you know, just bask in their revelation that they have this new understanding of Scripture, this new what have you. And next thing you know, it's evident that this person, they they might have experienced something, but it wasn't God. <laughs> no. Cause that, and that's the other thing is, is there is a demonic force out there that is purposefully counterfeiting miracles so that it create to create confusion, to sow chaos, and to sow um, people looking to elemental forces, aliens, fairies, what have you, um, to be their saviors instead of the one true savior. Absolutely. I'll 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 say this, and um, in in my mind, I've said everything I have to say about miracles tonight. So, if anyone has anything else to add, we, if not, but when I was a new believer, I was trying to figure out what was real, what was not, and I had found some of the faith healers on TV, and I was confused about it because it just seemed so theatrically obvious yeah. for the whole world to yeah. sit there and see something that can trump what Jesus did Himself mm-hmm. so flippantly. And what this guy, one, one, he was a, a more mature believer than me. He was in my youth group at the church. But he was a leader in there. And he actually told me something that really made me rethink it, and I've never really stopped rethinking that ever since. He said, if somebody really had the power to heal like that person claims, mm-hmm. and it is genuinely from God, like God personally trusts this individual to be the next Gideon, the next Paul, the next Samson, whatever, I'm endowing you with a power that I already know in my providence and sovereignty that you will not waste. And they were sincerely God's servant. God himself granted this power to this person on purpose. And they were were legitimate. They would not be having a paid 
healing ministry. They would be tearing up the hospitals. Mm-hmm. They would be going through, and the fact that they are not there should already tell you everything you need to know about what they're claiming. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, that cleared point. it up very well for me. Yeah, and yeah. that was years ago, and I can still quote that. Yeah, and I mean, because, I mean, that, let me tell you l- about Jesus, <clears throat> and he can heal you of your 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 illness or whatever and actually do it i mean that's that's telling right there i mean absolutely <laughs> oh yeah and i would i would like to imagine at least if i woke up with powers like that tomorrow i would hope that if my heart was even remotely in the right place i'd get a bigger thrill from just watching people do it just being able to go through and i mean you can't ignore me if i witnessed to you after i ch- healed your leukemia mm-hmm. but I would hope that that would give me a much bigger thrill than being in a big tent mm-hmm. asking people to throw money in a coffer. But uh, that was <laughs> that was my last 10 cents to give to the topic. <laughs> well, I mean, I think these were all really great um, examples of miracles. And, I mean, there's tons more in the Bible well, oh, for yes. people. And there was so many yeah. that you know weren't even recorded. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, because he was doing this, what, three years? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just traveling yeah. all over for three years. And so, I mean, the Bible would be three feet thick if it recorded <laughs> probably everything that he did. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, Oof. but yeah, uh, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, visit our um, Facebook page again, uh, the Achieving Christian Thought uh, podcast Facebook page. Theactpod.com is our website. Uh Definitely drop us a message. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we'll bring it back uh, next week. All right. Thank you all. Thank you. Yeah.